There you go. Fantastic. Isn't it great? See the harvest of souls. Thousands of people. There were several thousand came to the Lord that day. And uh, in the other meetings we had, uh, many, many people came to Christ. Lots of healings, miracles, deliverances. Just amazing. But they, they broadcast the message and the testimonies. And this is what's drawing Muslims all over Pakistan and up in Saudi Arabia and beyond. They're watching on the television. They hear the gospel. They make a response to the gospel. And then they contact the church to find out, what do we do now? So one of the imams and his family uh, came to Christ. They came, and they've been counseled how to get out of the whole situation there. Uh, and all over the, the nation, in the, in the mosques, is talk about what God is doing, how God is moving through Isaac TV, touching people's lives. So again, thank you for sowing in. It's a great investment to be sowing into the gospel, sowing into what God is doing up there. It truly is a, a window of opportunity for us to have an impact right through in that part of the world. Fantastic. Aren't you glad? Let's give the Lord a clap, shall we? Let's thank the Lord. <coughs> great. I want you to open your Bible with me in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I was sharing a series, started a series a little while ago, seems like months ago, but it was only a little while ago, uh, on desires, dreams, and destiny. I want to pick it up. I did two sessions in it, and we'll just pick up this first verse here in Ephesians chapter 2, just uh, touch back where we were. And then today I want to just talk about your desires and the will of God. Your desires and the will of God, how these things work together. So Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 10, we are His workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works, that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every person longs for a sense of purpose. We all want to have meaning for our life. And uh, being disconnected from God, it's very, very, very difficult for people to find a purpose for their life that satisfies that deep need in the soul. And that's because disconnected from God, we can never really discover and enter into the fullness of what we were designed and created for. There's an emptiness which can only be met by relationship with God. But you notice in here, it, it talks about uh, things that God created beforehand. It talks about destiny. Your destiny is not just a fate, something that happens, a power that moves, and you can do nothing about it, that it's just going to happen anyway. A lot of people have that passive Eastern viewpoint that, you know, destiny is just going to work out. There's a plan being worked out for you, and you have really nothing except to just find yourself in the middle of it and try and understand it. And uh, that's definitely not a Christian position. Uh, but many Christians also are waiting for God to tell them everything to do. So we need to try and find the balance in this whole area. Notice in uh, Ephesians 2 verse 10 it says that we are created by, for, by God to do something. To do something that's got eternal value and benefit. We're created for things. And the Bible says God prepared them before we were born. And it's a walk. It's a lifestyle of walking with God we will begin to discover the things we're called to do. And some of those things are very natural. So some are called to be a wife, a mother, a husband, a provider, a teacher. There's a whole range of very, very natural things. And all of that is part of our walk with God. We tend to think of the works of God being some great thing, but mostly the works of God are just worked out in our life quite easily. But here's something for you to see. If you look up in verse uh, 1 and 2 and 3, it says of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, now, God has made you alive. You were dead in trespass and sin. So before we came to Christ, we were cut off from God, dead in trespass and sin. So the power of sin gripped us, and with that, self-centeredness. Now, watch this. It says, in once you walked. Now, notice we've just read 
how our destiny is walking with God and discovering what He wants for our life. But before we come to Christ, we walked a different way. What was the way we walked before we came to Christ? It says here, we walked according to the course or the the track of this world, according to the prince of power of the year, the spirit in our works in the sons of disobedience. So notice it's saying that there is a course, a path that everyone in this world follows. It's got many different uh, aspects of it, many different pictures, but it's still the same path. I do what I want. It's all about me. So it says that that is the course the world follows. It's a self-centered, all about me and about my welfare. That's the way that we all walked. And notice it says that there is a spiritual power influences all people who live without Christ to walk the same way. So no matter how good people look, you'll find nevertheless they are still walking and there's a self-centered dimension around their lives. And then it says, and we also walked, and we, were, we once conducted ourselves among them in the lusts of our flesh or desires of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and mind. So it says that the way we used to live was, one, we just copied the way the world lived. We had the same value system, pretty well sought after the same things everyone else did. We were just like all following like a herd down the same path. And there was a spiritual power operating over that. And the way it worked was in the desires of our flesh and our mind. In other words, there's an area of desires that controlled the way we lived before we came to Christ. We wanted something, just went and pursued it, and we wanted to do what we wanted to do. So notice it says that we walked according to desires. So what you desire, you're going to seek after. And if you're seeking after something, it's because you really desire it. So if we watch how we live and walk, pretty soon we can find out what we really desire. So coming to Christ, something needs to change. And here's where you get a little bit of confusion around this area. I want to talk a little bit about your desires and the will of God. How are your desires connected to the will of God? And secondly, how can you discover the will of God in your life? All right, so the first thing to understand is this. We'll read a verse here in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, keep your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of your heart flows direction, the value system, the emphasis, the priorities, the goals, the activities of your life flow from whatever is in your heart, good or bad. Whatever is in your heart will direct how your life goes. So the Bible says to guard our heart. So here's the thing. God has wired into your heart certain desires, certain giftings, certain passions. There are some things before you were born, God hardwired them into you. And they are to help you begin to discover what you're here to do. You see, when we're born into the world, we're without God, but we still have desires, passions, gifts. Not all of them are bad and not all of them are good. Some are good, some are neutral, some are bad, but some things God has wired into us, and as we begin to pursue our desires and our passions, we begin to find ourselves moving in a direction in our life. And uh, you notice, uh, if you're going to uh, walk with God, one of the things you will need to do is to discover what He's wired into your heart. Why? Because it's out of your heart your life will flow. God is not going to tell you everything to do. He wants you to own your life, connect with what He's put inside you. If you have a, a passion, a desire, a gift, or some kind of thing, it was put in by God to enable you to fulfill His plan for your life. So some are creative, some have music, 
you know, it's wonderful you have a gift of music in your life, but you do know you never earned it, you never learned it, you actually got it. It was gifted. And then what you had to do was to own that I have a gift and then begin to develop the gift and begin to put it to some constructive use. So, so one easy way, there's several easy ways you can find some of the desires of your heart. What is it you really love to do? What is it you really love to do? You'll find there are some things you love doing. Now, don't dismiss them as though they're not important. If you love to do it, it's because God's probably wired it into your heart. Some people love cooking. Well, whatever you love to do, if you love cooking, then make cooking the way you love people. Use it to love people with. Some people are great at helping, and they love to help. Well, then love people by helping them. It's not really complex or complicated. Uh, what sorts of things get you very angry or upset or stir you up? Well, those are probably things you're called by God. He's wired in you to do something to change those things. So don't put your hand up in the ear and say, why isn't someone doing about it? something about it? Maybe God called you to do something about it. And the fact you're reacting is because God wants you to step up and do something about this thing that others don't feel anything much about. Uh, uh, maybe it's, uh, what do you feel passionate about? What is strongly passionate? When you do the thing that God's wired in you, you start to fire up, you become passionate, you get enthusiastic, and you begin to find yourself being highly energized when you do things God has put into your life to do. Some people, you see them, and they just come alive when they're doing what they're called to do. They're just the energy flows, and they can go long hours, doesn't seem to drain them, because they're flowing out of what's designed and what's built inside them. And uh, so, uh, what is it that uh, you're good at? Sometimes the things you're good at give you a clue to what God's wired in your life. What do other people say you're good at? Those can give you a clue to some things that God has put in your life that you should recognize, develop, and this is part of discovering what God has for your life. It's quite simple and quite natural. What stirs your compassion? Do you weep over anything? Do you feel strongly about something? Well, probably God called you to, do, to move into something in that area and to do something about that area. Now, you notice we haven't talked about prayer yet. We've talked about you engaging your own heart. Because in your heart, God has already hardwired some of the things that will outwork in fulfilling His will in your life. And if many times we so have, so, many people have such a low esteem that they don't value what's inside them and don't take the time to discover, recognize, draw out, and develop what God put in their heart. Out of your heart flow the issues of life. So there'll be some things you desire which are really good. Those are the things to cultivate by focusing on them. Some things you desire maybe of the flesh. They need to go to the cross. Need to just deal with them. By not focusing on them, bringing them to death on the cross. So separated from God, we tend to be very self-centered. And even when we come to Christ, most of the time we start off thinking, what's in this Christian life for me? What am I going to get out of the service? What am I going to get out of the message? What am I going to get out? In other words, the orientation when we come to Christ still often is very similar to what it was before we come to Christ. We're just looking, what's in this for me? What do I get out of it? How can I get blessed? And if we don't change that way of thinking, then what happens is we, develop, we become incredibly immature and never fulfill the course of God in our life. So, uh, here's a, a scripture for you in James 4, verses 1 to 4. Uh, James says, where do wars come from? Where do conflicts come from? How come we've got conflicts in marriage and conflicts in relationships? Then he gives the answer. It's because you lust or desire and you don't have. And so you fight to get what you want. So 
self-centered desires always lead us into conflicts with people. We end up in conflict, we end up in difficulties. Uh, uh, without Christ, we tend to be quite self-directed. So we're really looking after our own interests. Look at the scripture here in uh, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And, and this, is, this is true of all of us. Come to Christ, we say, what can God do for me? And then gradually we come to the point where we say, what can I do for God? And how can I yield my life and discover what he wants for me to do? So there's a connection between the desires God's put in your heart and the will of God. But if you just follow what you want to do, you'll never find the will of God. And if you just wait for God to tell you, you'll never find all that he has for you either. You actually have to become responsible to walk with God and bring your part to him, some to be put right and sanctified, and some to actually enhance, because that's how God wants you to, uh, to fulfill his purpose for your life. Look at this in Matthew chapter 16. And uh, Jesus, uh, verse 21, uh, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, priests, and scribes, and be killed and raised the third day. And Jesus quite focused all his life what he's called to do. knows exactly what he's called to do. Did he show creativity in it? Yes, he did. But he knew all the time what he was called to do. He had a very clear focus for his life. Now you notice here, he's just announcing that I'm called to lay my life down sacrificially for the cause of God. And immediately there's a response from Peter. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, oh, have a pity on yourself or save yourself. This shouldn't happen to you. Now notice what Peter is doing. Peter is with Jesus. Peter is walking. He's enjoying ministry, enjoying the miracles, enjoying the crowds. And then Jesus begins to explain Actually, there's a death I have to face, and it'll be followed by a resurrection. This is the part of God's plan for my life. And his immediate thing is, if Jesus dies, what happens to us? And so, he, so notice what he does. Straight away, he tries to press on Jesus to change the plan. And he says, have pity on yourself, or hey, save yourself, or look after yourself. And Jesus saw exactly where that kind of thinking come from. Notice the rebuke that Jesus gives Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. So Jesus identified that feeling sorry for yourself, protecting yourself, saving yourself, was a demonically uh, inspired impressional thought that was trying to take him off course. I have found of all the things that have been hardest in fulfilling the call of God in my life is people who have come with that kind of thinking. It is the hardest of all when your life is committed to lay your life down to sacrifice for Christ and others encourage you to take an easier path and avoid the cross. There's no resurrection life without the cross. None whatsoever. If there was an easier way for us to be saved, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. So not only is the cross the power of God to bring salvation, the cross is actually a principle at the heart of God. Jesus lay his life down for the Father's purpose. The Holy Ghost served Jesus and, and fulfilled, empowered him to fulfill the, the, the Father's purpose. You notice in all of it that God is working and the principle of the cross worked right through Jesus' life. If we have a Christianity with no cross, I guarantee you haven't got a Bible Christianity. You've got to help yourself do good, feel good gospel, which has no power to change lives. 
So, you notice that. So let's have a look on. So, connected to God, then our desires change. In Psalm 37, verse 4, it tells us this delight yourself in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. And notice what do you do? He'll give you the desires of your heart. And that's an amazing thing. Many, many scriptures, God says, He'll give you the desires of your heart. But you've probably got lots of desires and you haven't seen any of them come about. Well, notice the, 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 the thing that comes first. He says, Delight yourself in the Lord. And that word is to remain pliable, soft, like, uh, like a blue tack that you can just squeeze and shape and move it around and make it into a shape. In other words, have a relationship with the Lord where you are soft and yielded and you have His interested heart, and out of that relationship with Him, He will ensure the desires of your heart get fulfilled. Maybe not the way you think, but He certainly will enable it to happen. So, he tells us then to delight in the Lord. As we delight in Him and are soft in His hands, then we begin to discover what parts of our desires are interacting and connected exactly to what He wants us to do. Most amazing thing. So how can you discover the will of God? That's a quick key question, isn't it? You, you look at Jesus' life in uh, John chapter uh, um, 5, verse 38. He said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of my Father. So he was very clear that his whole life was centered around advancing the kingdom of his father. In John 17, verse 3 or 4, somewhere around about there, he says, I've finished my course, or I've got the end of my life. I've glorified you or honored you with my life. Notice this. I have finished the work you gave me to do. Now, that is a key to a successful life. I honored God and finished the work God gave me to do. Notice it wasn't the plan of people. Jesus many times stood in conflict against the desires of others for him. His core driver to be a success in life, his core driver to be successful was, I want to advance the kingdom of my Father. My life is fully available for that. My resources are fully available for that. This is what motivates me. That is the core of the gospel. That is the core of a successful life. Listen, you may look successful to the world, but how do you know that you're successful? Because you did what you wanted? Because you achieved these great goals? Because you fulfilled these great ideas? No, no, no. Jesus said very clearly, he said, I brought glory to my Father. Why? Because I discovered and found what he wanted me to do, and everything he gave me to do, I've done it. That is success in life. So you can look good in church, you can look good in the ministry, you can look good in business, you can look good in all kinds of things as though you're successful, but only God really knows what He planned for you to do, and it's only by connecting with Him and discovering that work He called uniquely to do, you can really find success. The world, remember, has got its own way of measuring success. For the world, it says success is money, but Jesus died with no money. So he wasn't a success. See? The, the world's thing of success is popularity and position, but Jesus died as a criminal, so I don't think he was a success there either. Uh, the world's concept of, uh, of success is, you know, people are following you, responding to you, you've got lots of friends, but Jesus' friends all abandoned him, so it doesn't look like he was much success, does it? You notice the world's concepts of what success looks like are absolutely contrary to God's idea of success. And only God can speak into your heart 
and help you discover what success will be for your life. Now, motivational teaching will encourage you, and you can read, I've read lots of books, I've got a whole shelf there of books of motivational uh, speakers and motivational teachers of all kinds, and they all are very similar, and they all encourage goal setting, dreaming, they all encourage a whole range of things which are incredibly effective and practical, and I can tell you now, if you want to make some movement in life, you do want to get a hold of some of those things and get to start to practice the principles, they work. Here's the problem. You'll notice in all of them they have one thing in common, apart from how to succeed, how to set goals, how to manage your time, all that kind of, this is what they have in common. It's all about me. There's no cross, there's no Christ, there's no eternal kingdom, it's about me doing what I want to do with my life. And the Bible says, and notice we read that verse in Ephesians 2, that we once walked in that path before we came to Christ, fulfilling the desires of our heart, being under the prince of the power of the air. Now we're under the influence of the Spirit of God. We go through a transition process of sifting our desires, sorting out our goals, sorting out our motives and priorities. Why? Because now we're citizens of another kingdom. There's another value system. There's another way of doing things. There's another set of priorities. There's an eternal reward. Everything begins to shift. And there is a process in doing that. There's a journey to maturity in doing that. And part of that is discovering the desires of your heart, setting goals, making plans, as we'll see in just a moment. Get the idea? All right, you got all quiet now about it, so <laughs> I must be hitting, the, hitting it very clearly. But, you know, when I had, I had some dreams, and you know what I wanted to do? Because I was really keen to be a teacher, trained to be a teacher, and uh, did the kind of training that meant I could get a job anywhere I wanted. And uh, what I wanted to do was get a job in Walkworth, which I love the boats up there, I love the boating up there, I love the harbour up there, I love the, 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 the whole area up there, I love the climate up there. I just wanted to live there, get a boat, fish, and enjoy my life. And so left to myself, my desire, I would be up there and I'd be still teaching on one of the schools up there and I would have a boat and we'd be out there and I'd be wasting my precious life. See, but God had something different. And so when the will of God and the desires of God came into my will, I had to start to realign my desires and my will uh, and to, to, to not let go what I like, but to actually yield to God's bigger plan. And within that, I'd be able to find the things that God called me to do. Getting the idea? Okay then. So how are some of the ways you can find the will of God? I'll give you a few. because You know, there's, we all want to know the will of God and it's so hard to find sometimes. And, and so I, I'll give you some practical keys, and they're, they're pretty simple keys, and, and it's not all of them. One or two of them will be enough to, to do it. But, you know, there are a lot of things that, that the Bible doesn't tell us. Like, it doesn't tell you what job to get. It doesn't tell you where to live. It doesn't tell you who to marry. It's got lots of things it doesn't tell you, and those are the things you really want to know. And it's, you can open your Bible. You're looking everywhere. There's one job, you know. It doesn't say anything about computers in here, you know. I can't find an answer to the things I really need. And uh, so there's a confusion lots of people have over just discovering the will of God. And, uh, and it's uh, not that easy at times. And that's partly because God doesn't just tell you everything. When people say, God told me this, God told me that, God told me that. So this is nonsense. That's immaturity. You're acting like a little baby who's been told what to do, you know. You, you know, you go to shopping, make a shopping list. You figure out what's in you. You don't have to God to tell you what to buy. You know, just go figure it out for yourself. 
And uh, we don't need God. So often we hear people say, God told me this, God told me that. And it confuses us because they put the authority of God over their own decisions and choices as though somehow God has endorsed it all. And there's often confusion around this. So I just uh, think it's much easier. We'll just give you a few practical things. And I want to give you a couple of areas that can really hinder you discovering God's will for your life. Now, these are quite important ones too. Here, I'll just give them out one at a time then. So first of all, uh, one of the practical ways, what's the passion and desire of your heart? One of the things you've got to do is discover what's in your heart. Now, if you just want to go out and just do all kinds of stuff and look after yourself and spend money on yourself, this desire needs to come to the cross at some point. You need to learn to live bigger than that. And, uh, but you know, Moses, it came into his heart in Acts 7 verse uh, whatever, uh, verse 23, it came into his heart to visit the people of Israel. In other words, it was something he felt in his heart, a stirring he had in his heart. In uh, Judges 14 verse 1 to 6, Samson felt it in his heart to go down and get this woman to be his wife. And it says here, it says that his parents didn't approve of it, but they didn't understand God was using this to provoke a fight with the Philistines. Now, how did he get to find the will of God? He didn't hear anything. He just had something in his heart. I like that woman. And go get that woman for me. And it was just, but he found himself in the will of God, following just that desire of the heart. Jacob in Genesis 30 verse 30 said, I'm sick of working for wages. You ripped me off. I have a dream of providing for my household. I want to actually go out and be an entrepreneur. How did he? He had it in his heart. So many of the people in the Bible were motivated by just a desire of the heart. Sometimes we make it all very complicated. Jesus in Luke 2, 49, he was down there at the age of 12 in the temple, and the parents said to him, what are you doing here? And he said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? He had a desire in his heart to learn the word of God. I don't think there's any big spiritual thing. I think it's just desires of the heart. And so you've got to learn to tune into your heart. So if you block your heart off and block what goes on in your heart and block because of uh, all kinds of things, issues of your heart, you won't ever hear what it is God's put in your heart to do. Who knows? You might be called to something really great that no one else has ever done before, but you're the only one could ever know that. And how would you know it? It must have been put in your heart by God. So sometimes God will directly put it in, sometimes it's just a desire. And then you find when you flow in your desire, you just can't help but do it. It's just part of you. It's who you are. So one thing is the desire of your heart. Second thing is, here's a good question to ask. What is the desire of my heart? Here's another one you can ask. What does God expect me to be responsible for? Now, I'm not going to tell you about everything in life. He expects you to think it out. Which school should we send our children to? Well, go and have a look around. Find what the good school. Get some report back for the parent. Commit your decision to the Lord. Make a decision. You don't need God to tell you everything. He wants you to use wisdom. And if we don't grow in wisdom, in other words, wisdom's common sense. But uh, God doesn't want you to be a slave. So you've got to connect with your heart and you do your homework. You've got to identify your desires and make plans. Notice this in, in Proverbs 16:9, in his heart, man plans his course. So you are responsible to plan your life. Don't just wing it. Make a plan. Plan your finances. Plan how to build good marriage. Plan how to build a good family. Plan, 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 plan. You're called to plan. God's not going to plan for you. He wants you to plan, set goals, and it comes out of knowing what you want. What do I want for my marriage? What do I want for my family? What do I want for my life? What do I want in our life? You've got to ask what you desire and then form a plan. Use practical wisdom. Don't wait for God to tell you everything. You've got to do your part. Uh, another scripture like that in Proverbs 16.1, to man belongs the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. 
in a heart man plans his course, but the Lord directs a step. So God expects you and me to plan. He will actually direct whether the plan goes according to plan or not. So you need to have a flexible plan, able to adjust. Paul had a plan where he was going. He, got, he announced to everyone, they're going on a mission. Now, now imagine this. We have a missionary, and we announce they're going to a particular country, and then they get over there and they say, no, God changed his mind, we're going somewhere else. So God does change the plan. They had the plan, God changed the plan. Why? Because God's perspective was bigger. So you've got to be flexible enough, having made your plan, to let God change it on the way and adapt it on the way. And this is quite straightforward. Here's the thing, does it agree, does what you're planning uh, agree or contradict the Word of God? Now, there's many things in the Word of God. It tells you exactly what to do, what not to do. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't have sex before marriage. There's so many things it tells you what to do. Why would you need to hear God personally about that when the Bible tells you what to do? Husbands, love your wives. Don't pray about this and about that. Just love your wife. You see, the Bible is very, and everything, give thanks. You don't have to pray about it or complain. Just do what the Bible says to do. So that's why you got the Bible. It's to help you make wise and good decisions. There's a lot of wisdom in there. And then, of course, there's some situations, there's no answers at all, but God can use it to speak a quickening for you. So, uh, so does uh, your choices uh, uh, ally with the Word of God? Here's another one. Uh, do, do you have peace in your heart about the thing you're choosing to do? Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of God rule in your heart or be an umpire in your heart. So if you feel agitated, uh, uh, a reserve of some kind, Notice when, when people get married, we say, have you come here freely? No one made you, and without reserve. In other words, this is the time to say if you're having some second thoughts. Most people overlook the reserves, men particularly. Men get so excited about the project that when their wife raises a little reserve, they just shout it down. And usually later, that little reserve turns out to be a major problem. And men find it very hard to say you were right and I was wrong. It's just one of the things in life I've observed. <laughs> so the peace of God in your heart. So if there's a lack of peace, or if your husband and wife and your wife has a lack of peace, then I guarantee something's wrong with it. I tell you now, something's wrong with it, because God called you to be one. If the other half is feeling unhappy, don't go ahead. You'll regret it. The will of God. You see, I haven't even brought God into it very much, have I? I'm just teaching how you discover and flow with the will of God in your life. It's not so hard, but it is challenging at times. And most of us overlook these kinds of things. So uh, many times, we, we had a group of uh, women who were unhappy with their marriages, had unsaved men, and, and we asked the question, did your father have any reserve about that marriage? And everyone put their hands up and said yes. I said, well, therefore... You should then repent because there was a lack of peace and you refused to get wisdom and counsel from someone else. So that brings us to another thing. Have you sought counsel from someone or open to get counsel from someone else about your decision? Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there's no counsel, people fall and the multitude of counselors, there's safety. Here's a good one. Proverbs twelve fifteen: the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that heeds counsel is wise. So this is what amazes me. Christians have been around Christians for years. They ask the wrong people. How stupid. I've, heard, I've watched over and over again, people ask the wrong people for advice. Someone has no track of financial success. Do not ask for help from them about your finances. 
Someone's got no spiritual track record of any commitment, steadiness, perseverance, and faith. Don't ask them what to do. You're just being ridiculous. You're being foolish. I'm amazed how many people make decisions without consulting and getting spiritual wisdom from someone who has the experience and cares about their welfare. And many times people will come and they come, uh, oh, well, I've decided to do this. What do you think? Well, what I think is you've decided to do this. Simple as that. You haven't come asking for any advice. You've actually made your mind up. And what you're trying to do is get my fingerprints on the, on the smoking gun. It's true. That's what goes on. And people make foolish, foolish mistakes over and over and over again. Financial mistakes, relationship mistakes, marriage mistakes, family mistakes, because they just don't seek counsel. Counsel's just that. It's advice. You're still responsible. I'm not talking about counsel that controls you. That's not counsel at all. That's ungodly. So here's another thing that could, uh, you could ask yourself, and you could just, even two or three of these, you've got them lined up, you'll probably get the right decision. Uh, how does this, or what is the impact of your desire or plan upon others? Now, that's an important one. What is the impact of your plan, desire on others? So if you're suddenly planning that I've got a great dream, I'll go and climb Mount Everest, how much is that going to cost your whole family, you doing that? Have you thought about the impact of that desire? have another think. If it's going to have all that impact, really should you be doing that? In other words, we're not to live our life for ourselves. We're called to liberty and freedom, but not to use it as an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. So when you have all these desires and you're fulfilling all these desires and doing your own thing and the family finances are running down while you just go out and do your thing, that is ungodly. It's self-centered. It's selfish. And it won't build good relationship. It's not very wise either. Get the idea? And of course, you could pray and ask God to tell you. And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. Most of the time he just gives you peace in his heart. But sometimes he'll give you a rhema, a quickened word, and you'll know it's exactly what I'm called to do. Listen to this. There has not been a single major decision I've made in my life. Now you don't make many major decisions in your life. There's never been a single major decision I've made since I come to Christ where I did not get a rhema from God. If it was big enough to be a major decision, I always figured I'm not smart enough to see the consequences. I need God to speak to me. Now, so that's where the, at the core, there's this thing where I'm here to fulfill God's purpose, but I've got to participate wholeheartedly in it. I've got my part to do. And see, many Christians are waiting for God to tell them what to do, or they think God's telling them what to do, and it's really their own thing. Uh, but there's a, there's a balance of human responsibility, and I've given you some what I call practical steps of how you discover what God wants you to do. A whole range of very simple things. Now, I'll give you a few things, and I want to just throw this out because this will set you off course every time. And uh, I, I won't develop them. I'd like to, but I won't develop them. Here's the first one. Here's, these are hindrances to discovering what God's called you to do or wants you to do. Number one is you ask God, but you have an idol in your heart. You ask God for direction, but you've already got your intention made up. This is what makes it difficult when you're asking God about a marriage partner, because often you've already got your own idea made up, and you're not going to listen anyway. And so all you want, and here's what the Bible says in Ezekiel. It says, God's speaking, he says, now they have idols in their heart. So this is what he says. So when they come to me, 
asking for direction, what they will hear is the idol in their heart. If you come to God looking for direction and you've already got a mindset, your mind made up, you've already got something you've determined to do, he is not fooled one bit. You're not coming to ask him for direction, you're coming already with your mind made up or something in your heart you want to do. And you never hear the will of God in that, or really. What happens instead is you hear what you wanted to hear. You heard the voice of your own idol. Uh, There's a great story in the Bible, and you can look it up in 1 Kings 22, of King Ahab. And King Ahab wanted to go down to battle. And so uh, Jehoshaphat came with him, and they got together, two kings sat in their thrones. And Jehoshaphat says, shouldn't we get a word from the Lord? So Ahab brought all the prophets together, and the prophets all said, oh, and they did these great prophetic actions. And uh, they got these bull horns, and you're going to go there, and you'll beat up the Syrians, and you'll knock them all down, and you'll smite them, you'll come home victorious. And they all did the same thing. The king's very happy. But but then the king said, well, what about a word from the Lord? Is there anyone else who's a true prophet of the Lord? So they bring out Micaiah, and before Micaiah comes on, the man says to him, well, listen, all the prophets are saying, man, the king's going to have a victory, he should go down to the battle. So make sure you bring the same word. Now notice this, the king had already made up his mind what he wanted to do. So when the prophet came, you know what the first word? He heard from the prophet according to the idol in his heart. The prophet said, go down, you'll succeed. How about that? In other words, when you come to God for guidance, and you've already made your mind up what you want, you don't get guidance, you just hear from your own heart, you hear the idol in your own heart, because you have not just yielded to God and come to a place where whatever God was directing you in, you're happy with it either way. I found the hardest thing in major decisions is to come to a place where your personal agenda is you let go of it, the grief of letting go of something you let go, and you come to a place where you can just be at rest. Whatever God wants to direct you into, you're happy with that. And when you come to that place, usually you hear very quickly from God. When I came to come up here, I did not want to come here. I did not want to cry. I came here, I cried all the way home from seeing the church and the terrible mess it was in. All the way home I cried. I said, God, I do not want to go to that place. It's miserable and I hate Hastings. I'm from Napier. And so that's it. So that, that was my seeking guidance. And so I decided it, was a, it really was a major thing. And so I decided I better take time to seek the Lord. What a good idea. So uh, we, we went away for a couple of days to the beach to pray. And here's what seeking the Lord consisted of. Most of the time, weeping and being willing to let go and listen to God. Feeling the pain of loss if God was to speak in a certain way. And in spite of feeling the pain, being willing to let go, lay everything down, put everything on the altar, and say, God, I'm your servant, what you want, I'll do it. Took me at least a day and a half. The moment I came to that place of surrender, immediately I heard the voice of God. Immediately. And I'm glad I heard. Otherwise, I'd be still in Denver. And I wouldn't have a son in Pakistan, and I wouldn't have a church here, and we wouldn't have mission things all over the world. We wouldn't have all of those things. You understand? But, but so, so there's a part, you've got to get your heart clear. And this is a big challenge for us. The second thing is immaturity. If you're just immature, you often don't hear God right. That's why you need some counsel. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, it says, In the last times, people heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, following the desires of their own hearts. So it's very simply put it like this. 
It's saying in the latter days, people are itchy ears. And you've got something itchy, you want to scratch it? So what they're saying is this. People want to hear a certain thing that pleases them, and so they'll go to the people who'll tell them what they want to hear. And I've had people come to me and they get my advice. They go find someone else until they find the one that tells them what they want to hear. Then they follow it. That's what the Bible says. Itching ears. Following their own desire. In other words, they're just wanting to get what they want. And the uh, last couple of things that will hinder you is uh, an important one is the influence of a controlling relationship. If you are in a relationship with someone who's a very strong controlling person, the soul tied to that person and the control over their life will influence your thinking and you don't think clearly. I'll give you a classic example of that. King Jehoshaphat, who was with Ahab, said, I want a prophet of God. And so the prophet of God came. He said, go up, it'll do well. And the king said to him, I've told you, you tell me the truth. You lied to me, tell me the truth. The guy said, okay, you're going to fall and die in the battle and it's going to be a major defeat. Oh, I knew it. You never said anything good about me. Now, notice this, the truth has finally come out. The true word of the Lord, this is going to be a, a failure, this whole campaign. And Jehoshaphat was closely allied in relationship with Ahab, who was married to Jezebel, and therefore under controlling spirit. You know what? He's a godly man, but he went to the battle anyway and nearly lost his life. So you notice this, he heard what God said, but the influence of the controlling relationship hindered him responding to God's direction and he nearly lost everything very sobering that isn't it it was only because he cried out to the Lord in the heat of the battle he survived and I've seen many people who are in controlling relationships and when they come to trying to hear God there's too much confusion in their life until they resolve the issue of control in the relationship any idea okay well I think that's probably done enough and covered enough <laughs> but the last one is you can't be passive if you're going to find the will of God. How are we going to discover the will of God? Look at the passions, desires in your heart, the things God's put into you, the things that move you, create stirrings of passion, whatever in your life. You want to find the will of God? Well, what does God expect you to be responsible for? Lay your desires out, set some goals, lay some plans out, and then bring your plans before the Lord. He doesn't want you to be a slave. Uh, does this agree with the written word of God? Uh, have you sought any counsel on this? Do you have a peace in your heart about it? Are you open to consider that the timing may not be right? That you know, a lot of people say, I got called to ministry, I got to go to ministry. Yeah, 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 I did too. And you know, it took me years to ever fulfill it. You know, calls of God, there's a preparation time. Don't think because God called you, you're going to jump up and do something great tomorrow. Start with something little today. Okay, then. Uh, consider how the impact of your desires will affect the people around you. And also, are you open to the counsel of people? These are good things to learn, aren't they? So, desires and the will of God. The will of God is deeply connected to the desires of your heart. But you have to learn to bring your heart into alignment with God's heart. And then you'll eliminate some desires as being trivial. Some things, which car are you going to buy? Hey, you choose. But if you borrow too much, you're going to be in trouble. It's as simple as that, you know? Which house are you going to live in? Where are you going to live in? Havelock, Flaxmere? Well, how much have you got in the bank? You know, use wisdom. So a lot of decisions in life are about actually using wisdom and then listening to God's heat in the heart or direction on the way. Amen? So isn't it great? How many of you are going to start to look and discover some of the desires of your heart? Unlock the desires of your heart. Begin to start to do it. It's a great way to start. 
what you love, what you're passionate about, what people say you're good at, what seems to get results whenever you do it, and uh, what you feel. Man, when I do that, I'm just coming alive. That's me. Don't make me something else that I'm not. I want to fulfill my destiny. Amen? Come on, let's stand and give the Lord a clap, shall we? Holy Ghost, we love you. We welcome you. Lord, we just honor you today. We had a great song earlier on in the meeting. We're done. It's the will of God or something like that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Reign over me. That'll be it. That'll be great. Perhaps there's someone here today and you don't know Jesus. Today would be a great day to give your life to Jesus. I'd love you to come down the front. I'll pray with you a simple prayer to receive Jesus Christ. Feel free to do that right now. Just going to finish with our song. You've got to go and get your children. Please go now. Have a great day tonight. I'll be speaking again on courage. So come along tonight. Get some practical key for developing courage in your life. Amen. If anyone here today wanting to receive Jesus, make your way down the front and I'll have a talk with you and lead you in a simple prayer. Come on, church. In the meantime, let's flow into the song. Hey there, how you doing? God bless you. You reign over all the earth we sing it. You reign justice and peace you bring it. You reign